The Spanish cause headaches, but Mancini prescribes Spain killers to get through the day while England, ba ba ba. Good times never seem so good. Literally, it's their first ever Euro final. Sterling performance from a group who didn't give a damn's guard. I'm James Zabo, he's Nick Gullimino, and this is the Continental Breakfast, thanks to Sportsmate Mobile, TLA, and the Euro 2020 live app. Nico, in the viewers' most, and listeners' most important mental meal of the day, we're going to scramble over some highlights, toast the lowlights, and serve up some leftovers for you to enjoy. Nicholas, our final show of the tournament has been... Get up and about, Jimmy, it's the final. (laughs) Come on. Need to settle down. Um... (laughs) We predicted it, didn't we? England and Italy, we bought these kits before Mate, the tournament started. For those who haven't watched our show yet, we ordered these kits before the tournament started and look at us now. I know. You're a disgrace. Yeah, I'm going to send that I picture am. to your family in Sicily who will probably disown you after wearing that kit in the lead up to the I final. Know, I, I didn't think this would be the circumstance, but it is what it is now. Yeah. Well, no, you just did. You said it. you thought it would be the circumstance, so you're an absolute liar. <laughs> Who was your hero, Nico, from the semifinals? There was a few. Well, there was um, a fair jumping few off heroes. England for the split moment to commemorate Gianluigi Donnarumma. He was my hero for the semifinals, mm-hmm. and he's played a key role for Italy mm-hmm. all tournament. All tournament. But on in the semifinals specifically, obviously – he was the hero for Italy, along with Jorginho in that penalty shootout. Mm-hmm. He made the save um, to set up Jorginho, who then sealed the deal. But not only that, just throughout the whole 120 minutes, he was Italy's saviour. Uh, Spain, it has to be said, they, they did play better than Italy. Yep. And if yep. it wasn't for a few of Donnarumma's heroics throughout the match and in the penalty shootout, Italy probably don't progress. And that's quite remarkable for a 22-year-old. Just the the composure um, that he possesses, the confidence, um, he's well beyond his his years as a goalkeeper. And he's always had high hopes for Italy ever since a young age. He obviously entered the scene as a young goalkeeper. And um, it it has to be said that... um, He's announced himself. He has. He has. One of the best in, in the world, tournament. Nicholas. One of the best in the world. What were you doing at 16? What was I doing at 16? What are you doing? What were you doing at 22 as well? Well, not much. But not, not at 16, he was training the with Italian Euros, squads and it. he's absolutely been fantastic. Also, credit him to the goal because it was his um, his pass while well, he rolled it out. He saw the gap. He saw the opportunity to, to play on quickly. There wasn't a lot of space there because um, Spain clogged it up pretty well. That was his goal. I yep. credit him. Kiers' finish was was amazing, but it doesn't happen if Donnarumma doesn't see the opportunity there and passes it out quickly. He's an absolute star. What, what is yeah. with Italy's goalkeepers and being named Gianluigi? I was about to say, Nico, that only 0.06% <laughs> of Italian children are named Gianluigi. And he succeeds. And Buffon. He's, yeah. how, how that Gianluigi is, he's meant Buffon. To be. That it is, is crazy. Meant to be. And in the penalty shootouts, you want confidence, don't you? You do. And Giorgio Chiellini was having a laugh, backslapping. Gianluigi Donnarumma looked just relaxed and calm. It really was. Bef- it like ridiculous. It was one before to the penalty shootout 60, 60 million people on your back, plus yep. the millions around the world. He's had that the pressure, but he stands up tall, Nico. Yep. And he makes a big save and Italy progress. That's fantastic. My hero was one of your mates, Gareth Southgate. Mm. I'll tell you why he was a hero. All tournament he's been a hero because he's made the tough calls. Talk about pressure. 
Gareth Southgate has enormous pressure to deliver and he still lives with that penalty miss from the 90s. <laughs> On top of that, and it's the true. nation, you know, criticising every single move he makes in the lead-up, only a couple of weeks ago really did they kind of um, mm. believe in him and he's made a big call after big call. He's put faith in in some players. Popped criticism. Popped criticism for it. But the, the last uh, big call that he made really paid off. Now, he, he brought Grealish on, I think, in the 69th minute, mm-hmm. and then he brought him back off after Harry Kane scored. Now, the reason he did that was because he wanted to bring Trippi on. He wanted to bring a defender on. But... As he brought him on, the crowd cheered. When he brought him off, the crowd booed. It was a huge call to make because if they had have gone to penalties and lost it, they are calling for Southgate's head because it was his call. But fifty, I think it was fifty, yeah, fifty-seven percent of Denmark's passes went through Grealish's flank while he was on the field. Only thirty-nine percent when he wasn't on there because they understood that. Yeah, he's fantastic going forward, unbelievable creating, but he doesn't get back enough. His defense, he doesn't have those defensive qualities which is why he brought him off. I thought it was a really gutsy call and it paid off in the end. Not just that call, but the whole tournament, like I mentioned, he's a very brave man to mm. make calls like that. Yeah. It yeah, looks like they paid off. They him. did target him. But we said it yeah. We said it last week as well in the preview that if England go down, it's going to be interesting to see how they respond. Uh, yeah, we did Trailing, trailing did the game. That. And credit to Denmark with the crowd against them. Mm. They... um. They dominated early. They they, did, they yeah. pressed highly. They closed the space in the middle so England couldn't create. And then they scored the early goal um, to put England under immense pressure. Um, but then credit to England, they they responded. They got the goal back. Yeah. Uh, got the game on their terms and they pretty much dominated the they rest did. of the match. How good was Harry Kane's pass as well? He created that goal and it wasn't just, you know, people say just stay in the, you know, in the box and, and be that present for the header. But he came up, receives the ball and then finds that pass um, because they're playing a different style yeah. now, England as well. I mean, even you look back in the past, it was the long balls um, over the top and that sort of thing. Yeah. Now they, they're happy, they're comfortable in possession. He, yeah, he, he's done that. Uh, credit to him as well. He's yeah. done that heaps for Tottenham last season as well. Yeah. So he's brought it onto the England stage too. Hey, quickly, I don't know if you mentioned Damsgaard because I haven't run, read the rundown as, as per usual, but should it's Pickford had have saved, should have saved that in your opinion? Well, you, it wasn't the, – the, the free kick wasn't dead in the corner. Yeah, so it was towards the centre. It probably it? was savable, um, but that's us saying it on the replay as well. Like that ball was dipping. It was yeah. fast pace. It was a well-struck free kick. So, oh, look, it, it was a tough one. It yeah. was a tough one to yeah. save, I guess. I think. Why, what are you going to say? Oh, no, no. I think a lot of people were critical on Pickford. I felt sorry for him, but I think a lot of keepers make that save. I think oh, it's hard for me to it say because savable. he's a professional keeper. Like it's yeah. savable, and you see keepers make that save. He was slow to get over there, which you got a finger finger on it. He did start a lot to the left. He started a lot to the left, but he didn't start moving as quick mm-hmm. as he should have. As soon as you lose sight of the ball, you know it's going over the wall. You try and get to your right. But, I mean, that's being extremely critical. I just thought all up he was a little bit shaky, Pickford. I he thought was. He was Early too, on he, he was. He was very shaky. It reminded me of a bit like Joe Hart, too energetic, too um, emotional. You know, emotional. I think he needed to be a little bit calmer. But that's yeah. being extra critical, Nico, and you'll, you know that I am. Uh, what was your highlight, Nick? My highlight was just both semi-finals living up to the hype. I thought both games were great. Mm. Um, they lived up to the occasion. Probably wasn't everyone's bet. The four teams that did make it to the final four, I don't think they were everyone's bet. Mm. Um, but, yeah, both games packed out Wembley. 
Uh, no side could be separated after 90 minutes. Obviously, we had a penalty shootout and then a late goal. It was just edge-of-the-seat stuff. And, yeah, both games were up there with uh, some of the best matches of the tournament so far. Yeah. In terms of emotions and, and like you said, edge-of-the-seat stuff, it, it was brilliant. There were big moments throughout. I mean, both games weren't mo- you know, the most pleasing to the eye. It wasn't end-to-end goals and that sort of stuff. But just the moments in the games I thought were were incredible. That's, That's what you want to see. My highlight, Nico, it's no surprise. It's obviously Italy progressing. And I've, and I've harped on about this, I understand. But after they failed to make the World Cup in 2018, <laughs> there was a, the Football Federation staged an intervention. Yeah. They said, what the hell is going on here? Why is it like this? They brought Costa Curta in, in to, to make changes. He reviewed the game painfully, watched it. He found, you know, Bellotti and Immobile were in their own half for the whole game. And he said, enough's enough. Like, we want a team that goes at the opposition. We want a team that creates creates chances and is not afraid. They don't need to sit back. Let's change the philosophy here. And he got Mancini and Mancini said, you've come to the right man. I'm ready to change Italian football forever. And that's what he's and he done. And he did it. And he's done it. Yeah. And even if they lose the final, yeah, he has lose. changed the, the entire – nobody believed coming into this that yeah. Italy were a chance. Uh, other than the, the, the people who have watched Italy play the last – 32 games or whatever whatever it is. Um, but they've proven to everyone that it, it, the change of mentality, young and old players, it's a different spirit in, in Italian football and uh, I love Roberto Mancini. <laughs> Nico? Well, there you have it. Nico, what was your low light? My low light, and this goes against England, but my low light was Denmark's misfortune. I think they deserve – like England deserved to win, mm. but – Denmark also didn't deserve to lose, if that makes sense. No the, pen, no pen. Uh, yeah, well, I'll get to that in a second. But, yeah, just the fashion they went down was heartbreaking for them. Yeah. Um, everything they've gone through in the tournament, the whole Christian Eriksen situation, yeah. and they, you know, turned it around, used it as motivation to get to the semi final, and they dominated early. But then to concede an own goal and then to take it to extra time and concede that penalty, which is questionable. More um, questionable. And then Kasper Schmeichel saves it. Yeah, and it rebounds <laughs> straight back to Harry Kane. Yeah, it was, it's heartbreaking it the way they went down. It was heartbreaking. Um, and yeah, the penalty itself. Look, it, it it wasn't a penalty. There's no chance. There's no doubt about it. Um, I guess from England's perspective, it makes up for the one in the first half when Harry Kane went down. Oh, the second half. Sorry. Uh, Do you think that was a penalty? I think I think yeah I think that was a penalty and it probably yeah. makes up for that but you know that's football right. swings and roundabouts and right. that's just the way the England goggles sometimes. on yeah no that's true yeah. and, but contact in the box doesn't mean a penalty even if there is a slight touch on him which another angle shows it it's not a pen but but I will say this that in the past Sterling has been criticised because he doesn't go down enough in the box when he gets contact mm. and he did nothing wrong he did nothing wrong you get contact in the box go down win the game for your, uh, yeah. for your team. But I'm also, I'm, all, I'm also glad that VAR didn't step in and reverse it as well. Well, because it wasn't a clear and obvious error, so they're not going to, they're never going to reverse something like that. Yeah, I, I like how they went with the referees. Yeah, well, the referee should should have if if it's a close one. We know it's there to to get rid of the howler. It yeah. wasn't a howler, but I would have liked him to not pay that penalty. And oh, absolutely, it's unfortunate to Cashbush Michael who it saved is. it, but I think he tried to hold on to it rather than parry it wide, and because of that, he didn't get. A good good purchase on the ball and it came back in the path of Harry Kane. And just on Schmeichel, there's not 
obviously there's not 20 seconds in a game that goes by after a save where they don't mention his dad, but I have to mention his dad because <laughs> he made nine saves in that game, which is the most by a Denmark keeper since his old man Yeah, in the late 90s, I think it was in a game there. So huge performance by Kasper yeah. and a huge performance by Denmark and it was heartbreaking. My low light was the Spanish being knocked out. I had to mention them. I thought they were the better side for for the were, nearly the yeah. entirety of the game, really. Um, they controlled possession. They didn't miss a pass in the first half. I thought uh, Busquets was, was amazing. Coco early on, Pedri even, Olmo created opportunities to score. And they they played with, I think the next day in the paper, and you know the Spanish are very critical, Nico, in the, in the main sports paper, they said lost with honour. And I think they were proud of the efforts that they um, that they did in, in that game because it wasn't a great tournament for them. But they played... It didn't, a, yeah, it didn't start off. It didn't start well, well but yeah. they played well in that game. And when you go to penalties, yes, it is a bit of a lottery. We know that. But I thought they, they played good football and Alvaro Morata comes on, scores. It was, it was a matter of time they were going to score. Um, so it's always heartbreaking to see a team mm. um, go down in a penalty shootout because Paul of Marata, we, we've we've spoken about him all tournament um, and his misfortune in front of goal at times and you would have thought he would have taken a lot of confidence and he yeah, would have that from penalty. that goal he scored penalty. but yeah approaching the spot kick the spot kick though he he was lacking confidence you timid. could see it he looked timid in his eyes I mean in hindsight we can we can always poke holes at different things but yeah he did look a little bit timid it wasn't a well taken penalty it wasn't but it was it was a good goal wasn't it that he scored so oh absolutely yeah, in the, the build up itself was very good nico i want your tip for the final oh, and geez. this is our final show so go out with a bang and be as biased as you can <laughs> i know you're half english now you did get your citizenship the other day no Congratulations. i didn't i didn't not yet uh, we'll see how they go in the final first yeah. but I honestly, I can't separate them. I think this is going to be such an even final. Oh, don't I sit on the fence. Just the, give us a tip. I know. The, the only favouritism there is is it's England's home ground. It's at, it's Wembley. at Wembley, which is going to be tough. But I think this ends in a draw in regular time. And I think the Italians will get up in the shootout. In the I, shootout. I think they've got better, better penalty takers, a better goalkeeper, and they might win it in the crunch time. There you go. I don't think my emotions can deal with a penalty shootout, another one. I would, I would be, hate oh. to go down to it because I don't think I can deal with it emotionally. <laughs> I think that, yeah, Wembley is going to be a hard task. I think the only the biggest problem for the Italians, I thought Emerson lacked, lacked a little bit and, and Spinazzola is a huge loss for the Italians, especially mm. when getting back and there was gaps in on, on his side. Chiellini had to come over and then it creates space. I think if you've got... The attacking runners of England coming at Bonucci and Chiellini, and mm. then if if um, Emerson's not back, there will be chances for England to score. So yep. I'm hoping Donnarumma has the game of his life. Um, well, I think England are going to score then, but I think yeah. Italy will score two, and they will win two one. Two one in normal time. Do you, do you think the, the Italians? Nine. I just want to ask you this: yeah. um, Do you think the Italians are getting a bit tired? Obviously, they started the tournament off um, on fire. They won their first few games with ease, and then. Like they, they just scraped past Spain. They didn't play their best football and Spinazzola went down the game before and, you know, there mm. seems to be that lack of drive on that left side. Uh, I don't know. I don't. Uh, I didn't see it as a tiredness thing. I thought it was just Spain not letting them play the game that they wanted to play. I don't think it's, yeah, 
I don't think so. I think England yeah. are a bit tired. <laughs> so I hope so anyway. Good mentality hey, that's, to uh, That's all from Nick and I actually for the tournament. So thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it. We had a lot of fun, Nicholas. Yep. Didn't we? Absolutely. Yeah, it was good. Always we pretended to be you, friends man. for a few weeks and then yeah, we can go on our merry ways separately. Um, stick around though. We've got a big interview coming up with Claudio Fabiano and he's an Optus Sport presenter. He's been doing the warm-up show on Optus Sport. He's a, he's a classic. He's an Italian supporter as well. So I can't wait to speak to him. Stick around for that. Hashtag the Continental Breakfast. Please give us all the feedback and abuse you want. We absolutely love it. Enjoy the final and Forza Italia. Okay, today's guest is a sports presenter and producer with an entrepreneurial mind and a passion for high quality content. His knowledge of football and love of sport has seen him find a career in media and present for organizations such as Optus Sport, Be In Sports, and even produce content for the Australian Open. His energetic nature and polished hosting skills have entertained us during the current Euro 2020 tournament, while behind the camera, he's working around the clock as a co-founder and director of his production agency, I Want It Yesterday. This man has a great philosophy on football and loves having fun and giving the fans a voice. And as a fan of his work, I can't wait to give him a voice today, it's Mr. Claudio Fabiano. Welcome to the podcast, Claudes. Wow, thanks for having me. Gorgeous intro, mate. Thank you so much. <laughs> no problem, mate. I'm happy to have you here. I know you're probably used to hearing this, but I've uh, I've been going to bed with you most nights over the past couple of weeks. So with your show starting late, I like to watch it under the dunas on, on Optus Sport, mate. What's the last month been like for you? Uh, it's been awesome. Like working in football media now for a couple of years, but never having done a, a lot of live, but also just a tournament. When I, when I started at Optus, everyone was kind of like, oh, is this your first tournament? Like it's, it's, it's a bit of a thing in the industry. When you do a tournament, you, you get used to, not only do you become like such a close knit family because you see the same people every day, but also you just get used to not sleeping. You got a little bit crazy at the same time. You have so much fun. So um, for me, it's my first footballing tournament. Um, a lot of the time these people travel for it, but because one of the, one of the kind of positives is that because everyone had to stay here in Australia, I guess that the office was so busy. So many people that I grew up watching on TV around me every day. So it's just been, yeah, it's, it's been almost surreal at times and a lot of fun. It's ending this weekend and I wish it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, you said then that the chemistry with, with the people and, um, like a close knit family, I wanted to ask you how well you knew Mel before um, the start of this tournament? Because your chemistry with her is awesome um, every night when you're doing the show. Did you know her beforehand? And if not, what's the secret of kind of building a good chemistry on, on air? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I'd never met Mel before. Um, we we met probably about a week before we started the show just to do some photos. Yeah. And from the first moment I met her, I was a little bit nervous because Mel being very experienced in this sphere and me kind of coming in as a little bit of a disruptor, just this young guy that started creating content. So I wasn't sure how, how she was going to take it being so well known in the industry. Um, but she was amazing from the first day. And I had a good feeling from the first moment I met her because she really gave me the time of day to to learn about me, what I like, what I do. We had yeah. laughs and fun straight away. And so, yeah, yeah I couldn't have, I, there probably couldn't have been a better person for me to do this show with. My respect for her it was already high, but it's gone through the roof now. Yeah, awesome, mate. I wanted to ask you about your passion for football because it's very evident in the way you present. But so you grew up in Sydney, you played for Sydney Olympic, I believe, Marconi and you, Sutherland Sharks in the NPL. Decent footballer as well, I've heard. Uh, you spent some time overseas playing. Was it injuries that kind of stopped your progression when you were over there? 
Yeah, so I, I grew up playing for those clubs, exactly right. Uh, I had a little bit of time with Sydney FC and then I, I had a bit of time overseas, um, once in Germany with Hoffenheim when I was 16 and once in England with Accrington Stanley. What happened was I, I had about six surgeries between the age of 18 and 24, so almost, almost one a year. Wow. I had a few on my knee, but I had three on my hip and I had a condition where I had to get my hip resurfaced. So I, I've got a ceramic hip now. Um, it was, yeah, it was tough. It, it happened while I was at Marconi. It was an injury that started it and I, I couldn't get over it. So I, I'm still playing. I wasn't supposed to ever play again, but I, I'm still back playing in the NPL now because I can't really stay away from it. But having so much time in recovery rooms, on the sidelines, I, I started to doubt whether I could actually put together five, six sessions a week. And I started to think, okay, my way to influence local football might not be as a player anymore. I might have to find another way to do it. And I guess you got to be positive in life. And for me, I, I see it as a bit of a blessing because I would have never been doing what I'm doing if I was still playing, if I continued to play through all those years. Maybe I would have become a professional footballer, but I love what I'm doing now. And so I, I see the, the positive in what happened. Mm. A lot of people say when they go overseas, they get a better uh, understanding of football as a whole. Did you feel like your experience over there is, is helping you a lot with what you've been able to do today? I think my experience over there, I've got a passion for football that comes from also having a family split around the world. So even before I played over there, I went to watch football in Argentina, in the US, in Italy, in Germany, in England. So I watched a lot of football. I already embraced that. Playing over there, I think what I learned at a young age was that we are not too far off the highest levels of the game over there at a youth level. It's just the infrastructure, the passion, the way it's set up over there allows their players to excel in those later years of development. So I think what I learned, what was probably what I learned more than anything was that serious change needs to happen here because the talent and the ability is here at a young age, but between that 15, 16 and 21, there's no infrastructure to develop our players. So I think that made me more passionate to think it's the long shot, but any way that I can make the game more interesting, any way that I can build the hype around the game and subsequently the money that's involved in the game so that these players can eventually have the infrastructure they have over there, that's a kind of side passion for me. Maybe one day get involved in the governing body. So I'd say my time overseas probably opened my eyes to how professional and, and why Europe is where it is when it comes to football because it's just embedded in the culture. That's right. And there's so much potential here as well, man. And you've seen, you know, when, when David Davidovich is going around to different clubs and having a drink with them and you see the passion that we've got here, there's so much potential there. And you even know playing in the NPL, there's a lot of clubs there that have roots to, you know, different cultures, Italian clubs, that sort of thing. Um, when, like in the future, do you see Australia getting to that standard? You said maybe looking for a position in, as in the governing body. Do you, can you see that in, in the near future? Yeah, I think so. It's going to be a, it's going to be a tough grind, but I think so. I think football is definitely moving in the right direction. I I'm I'm pretty confident with that. I think we had some poor years after, you know, it's kind of done this for all its history and and we had a bit of a lull in the last 5-6 years since the Asian Cup. I think that's quite evident. Now with the local game moving to a new broadcaster, this new injection of money in the game, the APL splitting from the FA, I think there's a lot of positives in the local game now. And for me, you can't deny that football, we always call it here in our office, we always call football is like a potato. You know, you, you, can, you can throw it anywhere and it grows and you don't have to even touch it. It just grows organically. And there's no doubt that even with the mistreatment, even though the National League wasn't doing too well, money wasn't there, all these factors, mm. negative media, press, still football participation grows every single year. It's just, it's an unstoppable cycle and it's an unstoppable beast. So 
I think that people sooner or later have to take notice. The money will come into football. The 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 spectacle will continue to grow. I hope the the biggest thing for us is that the A League needs to get better. Players need to stay here. I learned that at a young age as well. Regardless of my injuries, it's not what it used to be. You go overseas at 16, it's it's not what it used to be. You don't get accepted the way maybe they used to get accepted. Um, it's very hard to make it as an Australian player overseas. So we need to grow our local game, keep our best players here. And when the league gets better, everything will get better. So I'm, I'm confident that to answer your question, it won't happen in five, 10 years, but maybe I hope I'm confident in our lifetime, we can be a global competitor of football. I love it, mate. And I love your passion. Um, with that passion, it obviously got to where you are today. Where was your first start in the sports media world? Uh, my first start was during these injuries that I was talking to you about. My brother, who's 10 years older than me, he worked over in the UK um, very much for a lot of clubs, worked for FIFA in their World Cup campaign. He was very much involved in, in media around football. He returned to Australia. And between myself, him and our business partner, who's a quite an experienced cinematographer and videographer in football, we teamed up and we started a page called Sportly, which, you know, when you start in this industry, no one's just going to give you a chance. So what you've got to do is kind of the beauty of the world we live in is you can just start your own platform, like what you've done, like what all creators do, create your own platform, create your own content. And once you start to get that attention, then the big traditional broadcasters might give you a go. So that's what we did. Sportly, we created everything from graphics to shows to 20-second content, mini docos. We created anything that came to our mind in our spare time. And, and that got the attention of being sports. They were the first ones to see that. And um, we ended up getting our own show that we have weekly on being sports as a result of that. So it didn't happen overnight, but yeah. that, that's, that was the progression. Was that you mentioned that was a highlight for you in your career previously? Is starting your show for being sports? Is that still your your highlight? It, it's it's a special one for me because you know regardless of what I do now, that one was really out of nowhere, and we had you know they, they took a punt on us. They really did, and we were just like a bunch of kids creating content, and there was really no right for a traditional broadcaster to give us our own show, but we. We worked around the clock to make it work. It was tough in those first few weeks. We thought we weren't going to even get a pilot to them because we were learning about it on, on, on the job pretty much. I can say that now because we've been successful. Um, but it was just, it was such a good learning experience to do it with some of my closest friends. And to it's, it's, I love being on the show, for example, for Optus. I'm loving it every night. And the beauty of the Bean show, though, is like we have complete control of it. We write it, we direct it, we edit it we everything so when you when you've got something like that in your control and you can control the message the highlights everything it's it's really special so it was good to get that experience at such a young age and now i can relate to producers to directors to camera guys because I've, I've done all that already as well yeah. so it was it was really important experience for me mm. what, what you're doing now so i want it yesterday is is something it was founded in 2018 i believe and it's specializing in in digital sports content for the gen z audience um, and you've said in the past, which I found interesting, almost all broadcasters in Australia are struggling to connect with anyone under 30. So that's your, your target audience there. But do you feel that they're disconnected from the, the usual broadcasters? Yeah, definitely. Traditional media is, is struggling a little bit because I think we live in this cool world where now traditional media needs to embrace modern media. I, say, I don't say social media, I say modern media instead because it's not always the most social. Um, so that, that kind of synergy between the two, you know, most people would consume their news through Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, but they won't sit and watch channel seven, channel nine news. That's just the way the world is going now. So I think for the traditional broadcasters, I'm definitely not saying to put them in the bin because there is a place for that type of media, 
but they've got to accept and embrace and work together. It's it's not like we're making it up because it's happened overseas. And we always use the example of people like Sky Sports in the UK, which rather than trying to block out new young creators, they actually acquired a lot of the the pages. They acquired, I think it was the Football Daily. Yeah. They bought it. Yeah. And they kept it as football. They didn't try to call it like Sky Sports Daily. Yeah. No, no, they, they kept it as Football Daily. They understood that while they'll talk to one audience, we'll talk to another audience. And at the end of the day, we're all talking football and the game will grow. Yeah. So that understanding has already happened overseas. And I think it's starting to happen in Australia. So we just parked ourselves right in the middle um, at, at a pretty right time. Yeah, I love that, man. I love that. Tell me what you're, you're doing there day to day. So what type of projects are you um, doing at the moment? So at the moment, we're, we're chatting still with being sports about season two. They want to lock in a, a new season and, and a lot more opportunities to kind of run with it, do our own thing. Um, we've been recently chatting to ESPN about a basketball show as well, a social show. Same thing with them. Like they're smashing it at a, at a traditional broadcast level. But what they're finding is there's so much conversation around the game that maybe there's just there's an untapped market there. So many people on social, they go there straight after the match to talk amongst each other. Mm-hmm. Whereas they, they should be bringing them all into an ESPN platform to talk between them and get fans, give fans a voice. There's this cool, cool transition now, thanks to a lot of the people in the UK, Arsenal fan TV, Red yeah, full-time yeah. devils. You know, people love to hear fans' point of view, not just the next player or an expert. I love what the fans do because they swear, because they get passionate. Okay. So we've been working on a lot of that. And and probably the most exciting one for me, we're working very closely with the new APL. So the new A-League, um, W-League yep. organization. Just, you know, it's incredible what they're doing. They're in charge now to revamp the entire game, not just that 90 minutes on the field, but everything around it. So we've been quite involved in the process and that's a really exciting one for us. We're, we're working on different things every day about little something as, as small as what the graphics could look like mm. to, to reach a new audience to something as big as what a magazine show could look like for the A-League and W-League. So there's been a lot of that going on recently and every day is different. You never really know what type of brief is going to land on the table. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it, mate. Hey, the last one before I ask you about the actual Euros, I, I want to know your best piece of advice to say a, aspiring sports pro, uh, media professionals like yourself. What's something you could tell them to, that, to take with them to, into the future? The best advice I could give, and I've, I've had a few people message me recently and I say the same thing to them and it, it's just about collaboration and working together because we belong to this new generation of creators and what I've realized since working with traditional broadcasters, traditional media people is that media once upon a time was, I want that job as a presenter. So I will step on anyone I can to get that job. And because of that, there was a, there's a lot of characters in there that, that mentality of like dog eat dog world in the media is dying. That doesn't exist anymore because we come from a realm of social media where instead it's like you and me, let's do a piece together so that my audience see you and your audience see me and we both grow. And that's the environment we come from. And it's such a powerful tool that we can do. We are so collaborative. So my advice to anyone would be, no matter how small your audience may be, Find other people with similar audiences, similar aspirations, collaborate, create content together. And if you just keep collaborating, everyone will grow together and we'll all get to where we want. There's enough room. You look at the fragmentation of football now, Paramount, Stan, Optus, Bein, Sports Flick, you know, it's everywhere. It's on so many different channels. There's enough room for all of us to have a role in the game now, which is nice. So my advice is just collaborate, 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 reach out to people that do similar things as you. They don't even have to be in your city like us. We're in different cities, yeah. you know, and uh, and just create content together and, and we'll all we'll all get to where we want to be. 
Brilliant, brilliant piece of advice. I, I completely, 100% agree with that. It's great. Hey, let's talk about the final. Um, what are your thoughts? Because you're Italian, Italian background, uh, as am I, and we were very nervous uh, on Wednesday morning our time uh, during that game because Spain probably played uh, the better game than the Italians. The Italians got through. Are you still confident going into the final against England? I wanted England in the final, to be honest with you. I did. I wanted England over Denmark because when I look at that Danish fairy, a fairy tale is hard to stop. And, and there's, there's, there's things that are, are more important than skill level. So I was worried about that Danish team. If they made the final, Christian Eriksen, it got announced, was going to attend the final with his family. Yeah. I was worried about that because I think that some things in football that are just more powerful than what you can explain. I would have rather played the English. So for me, after watching that game as well, against Denmark. I'm glad it went to 120 minutes. So both teams had to play 120. Um, and it, they didn't impress me immensely. Yes, they're at home. Yes, you know, 60,000 English will be in the stadium, but that could work in anyone's favor. When I look at this Italian team and I see how tight-knit they are after every game, how many assistant coaches Mancini has, and they're all ex-players and everyone's together. And Gianluca Vialli's been sick, but now he's part of the squad. And that, yeah. that camaraderie that they have, I really believe that even at Wembley with 60,000 against them, with England at home, with all this hype, I believe this Italian team can, can upset it in the final. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm a little bit nervous as we all should be, as the English are too. Um, but I'm really looking forward to it. It's the final that all football fans wanted. That's right. If, if there was one worry, what, what would it be? Because a little bit of concern about the speed of England going in attack when you've got Chiellini and Bonucci at the back. I know Alvaro Morata got through a few times. Spain cracked them a couple of times. And obviously Spinazzola's not there anymore. And Emerson doesn't offer defensively as much as he did. Is that your only concern? My concern with the English is probably, I would say, <clears throat> Sterling and Saka or Sancho, whoever starts on the wings, now that Spinazzola is out, like you mentioned, Emerson, Di Lorenzo, I, I really like him as a right back, but I think yeah. he's shown even, even against Belgium with the penalty that he gave away, he flies into some challenges and he's, he's quite, he's, he can be quite hot headed like that. And when you got players like Sterling, who we saw in the semi final, any chance he can, he will go down. The game is in Wembley, 60,000 roaring. What worries me, if I had one worry, it's that those tricky wingers will get into the box and any contact, they will go down. And with a crowd like that, we'll concede a penalty. So I'd say <clears throat> that's probably my only, that, that's my biggest worry in this game. Yeah. yeah, That's a good point. That's a very good point. So last one, what's your score prediction then? What, what's the, what's the final score for the final? Oh, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Um, I don't like doing predictions, but I, I'm going to say Italy will win the Euros against mm -hmm. England. The final score in a, in, in, in the absolute highlight of Bonucci and Chiellini's career, the best performance that both of them ever give, yep. Italy win 1-0 at Wembley. <laughs> that would be brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Where, where, are you watching, where are you watching the final? Well, I, I was talking to Optus because I, my show's at 9 p.m. So usually I don't work the games. But <clears throat> for England, Denmark, I did a bit of a stream during the match. And they said to me, they're like, oh, we'll see you again for Monday morning. And I was like, Excuse me, because I've watched every game, my dad, my brother, <clears throat> my mom, my family at home. Yeah. So I was really looking forward to doing that again. So I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to him at the moment. If, if it's not completely necessary for me for me to be there, I would much rather watch it in my living room. I'm a bit superstitious like that too. Yeah, yeah, we've, got yeah. our, we've got our flags, our scarves set up, everything's set up. <laughs> so 
I would like to watch it at home with my family. Yeah, Brent, you're a family man. I love that. All right, Claude, with all my guests, I like to do 10 quick questions at the end. First thing that pops to your head, man. All right. Okay, let's go. Your favorite food? Uh, pizza. Yep. Uh, favorite movie? Oh, I'm sounding so Italian here. Uh, Godfather. <laughs> uh, favorite Italian player of all time? Oh, favorite Italian. Uh, Fabio Cannavaro. Yeah. One. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Um, I could live anywhere in the world. Where would it be? That's a good question. I'm going to... Here, Sydney, Australia. Sydney? Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Um, favorite person you've ever interviewed? Hmm. Um, I interviewed Gaisca Mendieta. He's a cool guy. Ex-footballer. He's now a DJ. He's just such a cool guy. Yeah. Mendieta. Love it. Um, if you could take the spot of one starting Italian player for the final and play in their, in their spot, who would it be? Who would you replace, Claude's? I would replace Leo Bonucci because Bonucci's great, yeah. but I think myself next to Chiellini with that leadership, I think we'd do a good <laughs> job. I think we'd do a good job. Very good. I love it. Uh, if you had the freedom to produce and host a football show on any platform, which you almost do really, what would be the theme and who would you choose? If you could choose a host from anywhere in the world, who would host next to you? Wow. Um, I would produce... A local football show, but that shines the light on culture, on pretty much what everything like similar to what football belongs has been for Optus. So it'd be about Australian football, but embracing all the cultures from the levels underneath the A League as well. And on that show, I got I got to be loyal. I would say I would like to host it with my current co-host, Melbourne Rocker. Brilliant! You love to do that. Uh, <laughs> if you had a time machine, you could go back to any sporting moment in history. Where would you go? Um, that I was alive for? No, any, any. Any? Uh, in that case, I'd, I'd love to be able to travel and experience Maradona in the 80s at Napoli because it just would have been, it would have gone crazy. So either the UEFA Cup final or when he won the Serie A in Napoli. Yeah, unbelievable. Have you seen his documentary, by the way? Yeah, yeah, it was brilliant. That was brilliant. Yeah, That's what a legend. Um, what is one thing about you that most people don't know? Um... There's probably a few things. Um, one of them would be that I am a sucker for musicals. I love musicals. Of course. Oh, yeah. So live, live theatre, Disney sing-alongs, things like that. <laughs> I absolutely, I absolutely love musicals. There you go. All right, last one. So you've got all the kits from the Euro teams, I believe. I've seen every night with different kit. Other than Italy's, what is your favourite kit from the tournament? Um, some nice ones. I really like Slovakia's kit. Slovakia's? Yeah, Slovakia's kit was cool. It was like just, they, they took a stab with it. They went with an awesome pattern. Um, it's, yeah, I'd say Slovakia had the nicest kit. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant, my man. Hey, it's been so much fun to chat to you today, mate. I really appreciate your time and I love what you're doing. And I hope that if I'm in Sydney or you're in Melbourne, we'll catch up together, we'll grab a beer and uh, we'll celebrate the Azzurri winning the cup in 2020. Oh. Definitely, I hope so. I'm, I'm overdue a trip to Melbourne, so I'll definitely try and get down there as soon as we're allowed to. Um, yeah. But thanks for having me on. I absolutely love what you do as well. And, and I always say this anytime I speak to any football creator, it's because of you guys that the game is moving in the right direction. So let's keep doing what we're doing. Well done. Let's do it, man. Thank you. I'll speak to you soon, mate. Ciao. Speak to you soon. Ciao.